Yep, my name is John, and I am excited to be here. We uh, at Eagle Brook Church, the church in the Twin Cities here, we, say, we share such a fondness uh, for this church because really there's a kindred spirit with Riverway um, between Eagle Brook and Riverway. In many ways, it's because of their belief and our belief and how church um, really should operate and what it means to be the church um, as the body of Christ. And so again, it's, it, in many ways, it feels like being home. But as you mentioned, here at Riverway, we are in a series called Proof of Life. In essence, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, which maybe you do, maybe you don't, but if you consider yourself a Christ follower, there should be a proof of a Christ-like life. Our relationship with Christ, because of the Spirit of God flowing through us, should produce a life that is different. Scripture refers to this difference, this proof as fruit, and maybe you've seen this verse many times this summer, but the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Spirit of God is working in our lives, our, our lives should be characterized by, by these types of, of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, just to name a, a couple of them. But see, here's the problem. See, even for those who've followed Jesus for a very long time, our lives, I know mine specifically, doesn't always produce this kind of fruit. I mean, who can have patience when your three-year-old won't stop writing with marker on the walls of your home? I mean, who could be kind when the driver refuses to zipper merge? It's always a problem here in Minnesota. Who can produce self-control? When our rampant temptations to buy more, look more, eat more, who can experience joy truly when your parents are on a downward health spiral and starting to lose control of their mind and their, their physical health? I mean, who's able to remain faithful and steadfast when the chaos of life surrounds us? I feel like I'm in a chaotic time of life with a four-year-old and an eight-year-old at home. I mean, who can stay faithful when there's just constant chaos around us? The answer is no one can. I mean, at least not on their own, not without the help of an outside, otherworldly source, not without the help of Jesus. But see, I've seen people live and produce this kind of fruit in their lives. I've seen it with my own eyes. People who have every right to be angry, out of control and mean, and yet something better, this fruit, a, a proof of of a different kind of life emerges despite their circumstances. I've seen it with my own eyes. So the question is, how do you produce this kind of fruit? How do you know what kind of fruit your life is producing and ensure that it's going to produce the right kind? Well, one of the ways to find out what your life is filled with is to reflect on how you act during crisis or crucible moments. Last year, five of us were on a flight back from a conference in California when about 10 minutes from landing here in the Twin Cities, a massive snowstorm enveloped uh, the entire Twin City area. You probably remember that storm last year. On April 14th, it was hashtag Snowmageddon. Do you remember this one? After circling for a few minutes, they said we couldn't land. 
So eventually we were diverted to Fargo. And of course, we didn't want to spend any time in Fargo. No offense to those who, you know, have come from there. But we didn't want to spend any time, let alone a couple of nights in Fargo, which they told us might happen. So we, once we hit the ground, mustered up the courage or foolishness to rent a car and drive straight back into the storm. A few details I got to fill in here. I had a choice at that car rental counter. I could have rented a huge SUV with four-wheel drive for $200 or a smaller SUV for $150. With our lives on the line, I actually chose to save $50. <laughs> now, you, you maybe know this, but on Instagram, when you're telling people kind of what you're doing, when you post these videos and pictures, people can respond. And a whole bunch of people were writing things like, don't drive, don't come. This is the worst storm I've ever seen. And of course, the closer we got, the more the storm started to pick up. I got to tell you, the tension in the car reached a fever pitch the more we drove. I mean, we fought in that car whether to pull over or to keep driving, where to turn if we were going to pull over, how to even proceed forward. My coworker, Nate, who was in the car, he was so scared. He was mad. And he was saying things like, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. We are going to die, which, of course, was not helping anyone. And eventually I yelled at him like he was my four-year-old, like, hush up, you know, stop talking back there. And you didn't see this, but another guy, Dave, he be, being a dad of four little kids, he was dead asleep during most of the drive. I'm not even kidding. We are plowing through the worst storm like of the last decade. And Dave was just dead asleep like a baby, but we made it. Now, truthfully, I've never been more afraid in a car. I mean, at one point we're driving 70 miles an hour, as you saw, without a drop of snow in sight the next the conditions were worse than anyone could have imagined. Every mile we drove, we saw another car in the ditch. Truthfully, we tried to get off exit ramps many times, but it was actually better to be on the road. But the wind was howling. Visibility was non-existent. Again, whether this was courageous or foolish, I'll let you decide. But here's the point. Notice what kind of fruit was being produced in our lives during this crisis. TJ, he was somehow experiencing joy through all of this. He thought it was a blast. Dave, who was dead asleep, was at peace. Nate was anxious and upset. Brad, one of the guys you saw, he was steady. He was full of self-control the entire time. Now, I'm not sure what I was. I'm whatever fruit you know, goes with being absolutely terrified. <laughs> but I was also committed. See, I knew the best way forward for us was actually to just keep driving to remain consistent and what got us through again courageous or foolish I don't know but what got us through was steady faithful driving over a long period of time and today I want to unpack one of the fruits of the spirit and it's that word faithfulness what is faithfulness it's to be trustworthy and dependable it's someone who can be relied upon Someone who's not going to give up. Someone who's not going to cheat or shortchange you. If they say that they're going to do it, they are going to do it. But it's more than just being trustworthy and dependable once in a while. See, faithfulness is to be trustworthy and dependable over a long period of time. I love the phrase that pastor and author Eugene Peterson popularized. He calls this a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what faithfulness looks like. It's consistent and dependable, trustworthy over a long period of time. 
I'll think back to us driving through that storm and, and how it applies to our lives. You probably already know this, but life is full of storms. Maybe you're in one right now. Storm of broken dreams, failing marriages, lost jobs, financial difficulties, wayward children. And yet through it all, to become more like Christ, we have to remain faithful, steadfast, consistent, committed, not just once in a while, but over a long period of time. By the way, one of the reasons that we sometimes lack uh, faithfulness is because of fear. It's pretty easy to be faithful when things are going well, but when it's not, man, if you're like me, it's a lot easier to jump ship and give up, to give way to circumstances because you're, you're just too afraid or the way forward is too difficult. And this is my opinion, but it seems today the world is full of unfaithful people, and in many ways, they get celebrated for it. I mean, you probably heard messages like this, but go ahead, follow your heart. Whatever feels right. Choose from a bunch of different religions. I mean, go ahead, give up on the marriage, especially if you don't feel like it anymore. Abandon the church. You can like Jesus, but not the church. And for whatever reason, uh, it's never been easier to, to, to uh, be unfaithful. And in fact, these people get celebrated for it in some ways. But see, God is calling his followers. And I'm feeling convicted by this message. God is calling his followers to be faithful over a long period of time. So the question is, will you stay faithful to God? Even when life gets difficult when you don't feel like it or you feel afraid. In today's scripture passage, we're gonna look at the story uh, of a guy from the Old Testament, a guy named Hezekiah, a man who stayed faithful in spite of and in the face of really difficult circumstances. Now to give some backstory, there were very few decent kings in Israel and Judah's history, but Hezekiah was actually one of the good ones. In 2 Kings, it says, there was no one like Hezekiah among all the kings of Judah. It says he was successful in everything that he did. Now, his life still was full of storms. During Hezekiah's reign, the king of Assyria was taking down cities and entire countries left and right. Well, eventually, Assyria had conquered the cities directly next to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, where Hezekiah was hiding out. And Hezekiah, at this point in his life, he knows that the Assyrians are coming for him and he's next, and he's scared. I wonder, is there anything that has you feeling scared or anxious right now? Anything that's causing some fear in your life and you're just wondering like, what am I supposed to do next? Pay attention to that fear because fear has a way of causing our faithfulness, especially to God, to waver. Well, Hezekiah responds by sending a message to the king of, of Assyria that says, listen, I'll pay you whatever you want as long as you withdraw the troops. In other words, I will do anything to relieve this fear and stop the threat. So he gathers all the gold, silver, and money that he can find, and he sends it off to the Assyrians. He assumes that's going to take care of it, and he no longer has anything to fear. But turns out the bribe wasn't enough to make the Assyrians go away. See, the Assyrians, they have Hezekiah in their crosshairs. And nothing's going to stop them now. Nothing. By the way, that's kind of how fear operates, I've found. 
Fear is not content with just making you quiver a little bit. Fear wants to completely destroy you. Fear wants to stop you in your tracks, prevent you from moving forward. And fear wants to keep you from living the kind of life that God wants you to live. Fear wants to stop you from your faithfulness to God. But thankfully, God supplied Hezekiah with just enough courage to withstand the threat, hold his ground, and then stay faithful to God's promises. Eventually, scripture says, an angel of the Lord came by and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And of course, they just went packing. See, here's the thing. At some point in life, every single person will be met by a circumstance so difficult and so trying that you'll wonder how you could ever possibly remain faithful to God. And maybe you're in that season right now. But based on the life of Hezekiah, I want to show you two ways that we're all going to need to stay faithful in difficult circumstances. And the first is this. we got to stay faithful in culture. Now, back then, culture had become a hodgepodge of kind of worshiping whatever God was most convenient for people at the time. So in some of his first acts as king, it says Hezekiah removed the pagan shrines and he smashed the sacred pillars. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Now, notice Hezekiah had the courage to go against culture, to live counterculturally and focus his worship back on God alone. Now, just so we're clear before we proceed, culture is defined as the predominant set of shared practices, beliefs, or values. I mean, think about culture today. Today's culture really, in my opinion, is not much different than Hezekiah's when it comes to religious beliefs. Culture says, worship whatever God you want. Pull from whatever religion you want, as long as you don't stand for just one God. Faithfulness to God is not being celebrated. And I think most would agree that culture is drifting away from Christ-centered values. So more than ever, it's gonna require courage to stay faithful to Christ and live counterculturally in the world today. Last year, I received an email from the president of the Timothy Initiative, an organization that uh, we partner with at our church. Then the Timothy Initiative is an organization that, that plants thousands of churches across the world in many unreached areas of the world. But specifically, this email was about the hundreds of churches that they had planted in the country of Nepal. And in the email, the president asked people to pray for Nepal because a law had gone into effect that made it illegal for someone to talk to others about Christianity. And for these Nepalese Christians, can you imagine the faithfulness needed to live out your faith when it's punishable by imprisonment or worse? Now, certainly, I think we'd all agree Americans have it much easier than our friends in Nepal, but increasingly it's becoming more and more controversial just to endorse Christian worldviews. I mean, if you do, I tend to hear this message back and culture screams that it's, that it's intolerant to do so. Take a stand on any number of Christian values and people will scream intolerance. But of course, if you play that argument out, the argument collapses on itself. To call someone intolerant for holding firm to their own belief is also intolerant. But that's why we're going to need God to give us this fruit of the Spirit 
faithfulness, a long obedience in the same direction, even when culture is pushing back on us to do the opposite. In fact, notice this was the foundation to Hezekiah's success. It says he remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And it strikes me, would would God say that about me? I mean, faithful to God in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands of the Lord. And then notice, so the Lord was with him. Will you remain faithful to God even in the face of cultural pressure to do the opposite? Now, the good news for us is that Christians have usually flourished over the years when forced to live counterculturally. We have generations before us that have proven this to be true. The early church 2,000 years ago experienced tremendous oppression because of their belief that Jesus was the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. But despite this cultural oppression, Christianity grew from a few dozen to a few hundred, and by the end of the third century, to several million. Historian Rodney Stark writes that one of the primary reasons Christianity grew was that Christians cared for the sick, the widows and the orphans. They welcomed strangers, took in outsiders, and respected women who were considered second-class citizens. And I know Riverway does this so well. But at the time, back then, the dominant cultural belief was that widows, orphans, babies, outsiders, and women, they were all worthless. But Jesus taught his followers that every single person has value, worth, and significance before God. So Christians who loved and cared for these people, they were living truly counterculturally. And that was a big reason why Christianity grew. People became attracted to this better way of life. That's why I'm convinced the way forward for us as Christ followers is not to withdraw from. It's not to ignore even battle against culture. Instead, it's to live more like Jesus to let the spirit of God produce fruit in our lives, to worship God with even more passion and faithfulness. Because when you do, when you live counterculturally, it's my belief that people will be drawn to Jesus because his way of life is just better. I was trying to put some skin on this. So what, what can this look like practically? For us to be faithful to God and culture, it means we put God first in every single area of our lives. For example, culture screams at us to spend whatever you want, whenever you want, just to make yourself happy. But God says, give me the first fruits of your finances. So we need to be faithful with our finances over a long period of time to be generous and steward what God has given us. Culture screams to chase every adventure and feel-good moment, but God says... Stay close to me. Follow me. Seek my wisdom before deciding what to do next. Culture says to get your kid involved in any and every single activity and help them become the next NBA superstar. And maybe that'll happen. But God says first, raise up your children to love and follow me. See, God is looking for people who will remain faithful In culture, will you allow God to produce consistent, determined, steadfast faithfulness in your life? Okay, second and final way is this. 
God wants us to be faithful in fear. The Assyrians had Hezekiah's people completely trapped, completely cut off from the rest of the world. To top it off, they stood on the wall that that surrounded and protected Jerusalem, and they started talking trash, you know, (laughs) to stoke even more fear. The The Assyrian king's chief of staff, he yelled from the wall, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting the Lord. He goes on to say, we've conquered every other city. What makes you think that you're safe? He says, even our weakest army is going to defeat your measly troops. He said, it's going to get so bad for people that eventually you're going to be so hungry and thirsty, you will eat your own dung and drink your own urine. You got to love the Bible, right? Come on, Old Testament trash talk. At any point, the Assyrians are going to invade their homes and kill their families, friends, and neighbors. I mean, can you imagine the fear? Every day, every night, you're left wondering, is this the day that it all ends? So much fear. Now, psychologists have determined that humans are born actually with only two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear and phobia has been learned along the way. So here's just a couple that maybe we picked up along the way. I pulled these from a quick you know, Google search here. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. I don't like spiders. Allurophobia, fear of cats. Any cat people? There's no cat people, right? We're all dog people, just kidding. Nomophobia, fear of being out of mobile phone contact. This is a real fear, okay? <laughs> Calurophobia, fear of clowns. And pogonophobia, fear of beards. Now, I must have that one because I still can't grow a beard. I'm always envious of, of men who can grow beards. Well, and women, if they can grow a beard too. But um, I can't. You know, I'm 35. I wish I could grow a beard. But see, here's the thing with phobias and fears. All of those have been learned along the way. And if that, tell, that, that, or that tells me something, if it's been learned, fear can be unlearned. But of course, you know, well, you know as well as I do, it's not easy to just stop being afraid, to forget or unlearn something. That's why we need to replace that fear with something else. To replace fear, we need a source of trust, someone or something to anchor into, something that's going to be reliable and strong. Look what the Assyrian's chief of staff asked. He said, what are you trusting in that makes you so confident? On Egypt, he says. Egypt was a potential ally that Hezekiah could have called him on for help. And then he goes on, but perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. And then he says, what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem? What makes you think that the Lord can rescue you? That's a good question. It's one we all must answer. Do you trust that God is someone to be relied upon? Do you trust that God is faithful? Thankfully, Hezekiah continued to trust God's faithfulness, and God eventually saved him and his people from destruction. As I was working on this message, I was thinking about all the times that I felt real fear and how hard it was in those seasons to trust the faithfulness of God. I was thinking about my first semester in college. And I moved from the state of Washington to California. How homesick I was. 
how I didn't know if I was ever gonna fit in or if it was ever gonna feel like home. I was scared to death the day I drove my son home, my firstborn, and looking in the back seat and, and thinking like, what am I supposed to do with this? Do you remember that feeling for those who have kids? A few decades ago, when my older brother was suicidal for six months, real fear. Every day I was left wondering, is this the day that he's going to end his life? I'm terrified. I can still feel that pit in my stomach. But it was in those moments, those seasons of fear where I had to ask myself, who do I trust? Will I give in to my fear or will I trust the faithfulness of God? Do I believe the promise that the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And each one of those times, God gave me just enough to endure. How? By trusting that God was gonna be faithful. So next time you're experiencing that real fear, I wanna urge you to trust God, to hold on to him. It's not easy, I know. But really dig in. And remind yourself of the promises of God. Don't give in to the voice of fear. Trust the faithfulness of God. The frustrating thing is that by placing your trust in God, it doesn't necessarily change the outcome. And maybe you know that to be true in your life. But see, here's what I believe to my core. See, I believe to my core that when you put your trust in God, it will change how you're able to handle the outcome. In college, I had just very few Christ-following friends, but one of them was a guy named Zach. To this day, he's one of the most generous and faithful people that I've ever known. We share a friendship that's going to last a lifetime, even though he lives in Arizona. Well, a couple of years ago, Zach and his wife, Shane, here's a picture of their family. They received news that no parent ever wants to hear. They found out their three-year-old daughter, Oakley, had leukemia. And really, the situation was dire from the moment they found out. And honestly, I can't even imagine or begin to understand the kind of pain and fear that they felt as they watched her singing one moment, so full of joy, and just broken and sick the next as her body tried to fight this disease. But despite the overwhelming fear, it was clear where they'd chosen to put their trust and I've saved these words that he wrote because just a couple weeks after they found out about the disease, Zach Oakley's dad wrote these words. He said, tonight, we rest our heads on the fact that there is no problem too large or mountain too high or sickness too dire for Jesus. He is our hope and our ever-present help in time of need. He is able. We place our confidence in him, he writes. A few days later, Oakley passed away. And that night, Zach wrote these words. He said, we have a journey ahead of us, but we trust that the Lord is near, that our hope is not lost. He has never forsaken us, and he will give us peace that transcends all understanding. That's what it means to put your trust in the faithfulness of God. And when I think about their situation, which has been so difficult to endure. The words of King David come to mind who wrote, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will 
fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is comforting Zach and Shane. And God will comfort you. That's how faithful he is. He's supplying them with just enough courage each and every day to wake up and face another day. How could they do this without putting their trust in God? And I wonder today what kind of dark valleys you might be experiencing. I know when we're in those seasons when it's dark, you can't can't feel his presence. It's hard to believe in in the goodness and faithfulness of God, but let me say to you, God is with you. He is. So trust him. Lean on him. The only reason that we can be faithful as Christ followers is because God is faithful to us. So remain faithful to him, even when you're afraid, even when you're in that dark season. And so to close our time, I wanna give you just a few seconds to reflect on the faithfulness of God. And maybe today that's, that's all you can do is just try to remind yourself that the Lord is faithful trustworthy in all that he does. Let God speak those words to you. Or maybe today it's a chance for you to say to God, I want to be faithful for a long period of time in the same direction so that one day people will look at my life and say, man, that, that guy, that woman has been faithful. I want to model my life after them. That's proof that God is doing something in their lives. Maybe that's your step today. So spend a few seconds just speaking with God, talking to him in simple language, and hopefully God will speak to you, and I'll close us in some prayer. So you can go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I sense that <clears throat> there are people here who uh, it's really hard to trust your goodness and your faithfulness. And maybe they're wondering why you've abandoned them, where you've been. God, even though that we can speak the words that we, we know that you've, you are there, you're always present, you're always around, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It's okay to be honest about that. We know that. But God, I want you to specifically remind those people that you are with them and you are guiding them and you are faithful. God, there's also people here who haven't been very faithful back to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to re-up their commitment, their faithfulness back to you. And we all drift from time to time, but there are people here who need a total course correction, God, so that they can experience all the the goodness and the fruit that you want to provide in and through their lives, God. And we know that you love and forgive all people who turn back to you. So God, help them to feel that forgiveness to feel that love, that grace that's just ever-present in a relationship with you, God. Not shame, no condemnation, but just a total um, forgiveness 
for the path that they've been on. And for all of us, God, help us to be people who are faithful over a long period of time in the same direction. It's not easy in culture. It's not easy in the world. It's especially not easy when we're afraid. But God, through the Spirit working in and through us, you can call us back to that faithfulness. And we surrender our spirit, our our minds, our hearts to that guidance, that direction, God, so we can be people who are ultimately marked by faithfulness. We just thank you, God, that we get to be here and worship you this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name.